Hello and welcome to Sared's Audio Fan Fictions. I'm Sared. Thanks for tuning in. It's One Shot Week, so I hope you're excited. Today we'll be starting Stand By Me by Sea Queen, a skip beat fan fiction. Summary An accident on show's set has Kyoko dangling off of a balcony with her imminent demise at hand, if someone doesn't save her. She doesn't trust show. But what about her fairy prince? Rated General Audiences Main Relationship Kyoko Mogami Suruga Ren This fic was originally posted on fanfiction.net and thus does not have any specified tags by the author. And as it's been a while since I've read this, I'm really not sure as to what tags to give it, so give it a chance. Let's get started, shall we? Happy listening! Every truly bad thing to happen in Kyoko's life was because of Shofua. Okay, so maybe that was a bit of an exaggeration, but more than anyone else in her life, Sho had had the most negative impact on it. It was his fault that she had emotional and relationship issues, that she hadn't ever had a girlfriend until the age of 16, that she'd been bullied most of her life, and he was even indirectly responsible for getting her a crazy-ass stalker. Yes, Kyoko felt it was safe to say that Sho was her own personal demon from hell. He was also the reason she was currently facing her potentially fatal demise. Sure, he would probably argue, since it was show after all, that she'd chosen to take the job in the first place, and therefore he wasn't responsible for her present situation. Bullshit. He'd tailor-made this job for her, knowing that she wouldn't be able to resist it even if she wanted to. And since her goal in life was to become a bigger star than Sho, any opportunity, especially one he presented that could further her career, was a must-grab. So she'd agreed to appear in his latest promo clip, one that had her playing a rich young lady helplessly in love with a man who would do her wrong. It was tailor-made for her, all right. She even got to shoot him in the end for using and discarding her. Not that she would get her chance to, seeing as she was going to die without ever getting the satisfaction of pointing that prop gun at the bastard and pulling the trigger. And she'd really, really been looking forward to that. But no, it was not to be. No, she was fated to fall to her death, impaled by the wreckage beneath her that had once been stage equipment and the balcony she'd been standing on prior to the accident. She certainly wasn't standing on it now. The wood, which must have been rotted, had given out from under her and she was now frantically holding on to the side of the newly created hole, which was creaking and widening as she watched in resigned horror. Her hands were screaming with pain, blood dripping and sliding down her arms from where the wood shards had embedded themselves into her skin. But she held on too stubborn to go to her death so easily. They'd already tried to come up the steps and onto the balcony to pull her up, 
but that idea had been abandoned when one of the beefier stagehands went through the stairs he'd been attempting to climb to get to her. The stairs were now a no-go. Now all they could do was watch from below as she hung there, hoping that the men dispatched to find something for her to land on would come through in time. Kyoko wasn't counting on it. Kyoko was sorry that Director Ogata would see her die. He was so delicate, after all, and he really was fond of her. This was definitely going to give him nightmares. Plus, he was there because she was supposed to be going with him to meet Suraga-san at a nearby restaurant, to discuss possibly teaming up again on a new drama he was directing. Now, she'd never hear about the plot, much less to star in it. Maybe she should call down to him to give the part to Moko, a sort of final present to her very best friend in the whole wide world. Surely Moko would be appreciative. Then again, she and Moko were rarely offered the same sort of roles, so maybe the role Ogata had said was made for her would be something Moko wouldn't want to do. Then she'd be leaving her best friend with a present Moko wouldn't want. That just wouldn't do. And she was in just too much pain to pay proper attention if she were to ask Director Ogata to summarize the plot for her now. Especially since he may or may not have passed out already from the shock of her imminent demise. Below her, she could hear Sho again loudly ordering her to let go and let him catch her. But Kyoko ignored him as easily as he'd once done to her. No way in hell was she putting her fate in his hands. She'd rather be literally impaled than owe him her very life. The things he'd make her do were far worse than anything hell had to offer her. Besides, he would probably drop her even if she did let go, unable to take her weight in the force of the fall, the pansy ass. Then, knowing her luck, he'd end up impaled too and blame it all on her. She'd never rise to the top of the entertainment industry if she was responsible for his untimely death. He was just too damn popular. The bastard. Besides, no way was she letting him be the Japanese version of James Dean. No way in hell. She was going to outshine him, and she couldn't do that if he was dead and she wasn't. Was there an entertainment industry in the afterlife? It was something to think about. Now, producer Asami was joining in, begging her to let go so that Sho could catch her. Kyoko was sorry to ignore her, but her prior decision to die first still held. She knew that the woman would blame herself, and Kyoko felt awful about that, but saw no way to change that. She was the producer, after all, which made her in charge of everything, including the sets. Kyoko figured that it was at least something to know that Asami would go after the set people like a hound on a fox. She was only sorry she'd miss it and could join in. Maybe she could, though, since she could always come back as a ghost and haunt their asses. Boy, then they'd be sorry. She'd definitely go Mio on all their asses. Slightly cheered at the thought, 
Kyoko paused her thoughts to once again call down to Asumi that she wasn't letting Sho catch her, and that she didn't blame her in the least. Producer Asumi didn't like that one bit. But Kyoko tuned out most of her arguments as to why she should do as she was told. The truth of the matter was that there were very few people in this world who she would trust to catch her. She trusted Moko enough, but would be too afraid of hurting her friend to actually attempt it. Her Taisho was strong enough. She might let him, if she was sure there was a good chance neither of them would sustain any real injury. Yashira-san, too, would be another pick for her, though she wasn't entirely sure he'd be up to the task. Her pick of choice would be Suraga-san, of course. Yes, if he were at the bottom, she'd most definitely trust him to save them both. He was a man a woman could depend on. She was sorry now she hadn't told him more often how much she appreciated having him in her life. In fact, she regretted that even more than she regretted not saying proper goodbyes to Moko, Maria, her guardians, and all her other friends at LME. Tears welling in her eyes. Kyoko acknowledged that what she'd really regret is that she'd never told Suraga-san how much she loved him. She'd never told him that she knew he was Korn and Kyon. That she'd never told him because actually telling him would mean admitting to herself that the one man she might have entrusted her heart to was actually accessible instead of a fairy tale character. So she would die. Kyoko thought, and he would never know that there was someone who loved him as much as she did. Not Ren Suruga, but the real man, Kion, with all his demon lord and king of the night powers. He would never know that she knew all about his past and didn't care a whit. Yeah, she was definitely going to die with regrets. Damn it, what's taking them so long? Chewing on her nail, Haruki Asumi stared up at the gaping hole where Kyoko's lower body hung, while workers worked overtime trying to clear the debris from the ground below her. Not that it mattered. The fall alone would be fatal. At the very least, destructive. There was no way she'd survive it intact. Her other hand in Hirakai's, Asumi had never felt so helpless. Standing below her, the men working around him, Sho yelled at her at the top of his lungs, ordering her in the voice of a drill sergeant to let him catch her. Only someone who knew him well would have heard the outrageous terror behind his barked orders. And then there was the sound of doors being flung open, and Haruki had a moment to hope as she turned around that the men had returned with some sort of stretcher or device to soften her landing. What she saw instead was a dark blur, a single individual running at full speed in the direction of show. All eyes turned in that direction as they watched as the legendary king of the entertainment industry, Ren Suraga, push show back and turn his attention to Kyoko with a fierce aura that had even show taking a step back. I'm here now, Kyoko. Let go now. And just like that, to everyone's amazement, Kyoko let go. 
All eyes were on her as she came down in a blur of blue silk, the color of her dress for the scene. She landed in Suruga's arms with a thud, the man barely buckling under the force of her ascent. As soon as she was safely in his arms, he was hurrying away from the wreckage, ignoring everyone's shouts and cheers as he headed in the direction of the chairs set aside for the actors. Taking a seat with her still in his lap, he demanded a first aid kit immediately. Everyone crowded in to get a better look, while Director Ogata hurried off to follow Suruga's demands. Ignoring the people crowding in around them, Ren had eyes only for Kyoko. Let me see your hands, he demanded softly, having already noticed the lines of blood running down her bare arms. Hissing in response, Ren took in the blood and shards of wood sticking out of her skin like they were piercing him as well. Cradling her close against his chest, he again issued his command for a first aid kit, all the while rocking her slightly as he would a child, whispering nonsense words of comfort for both their sakes. Staring over a tech's shoulder, Sho felt sick over the damage, wanting to say something but unable to. She must be in so much pain, he thought dreading the thought of looking into her face and knowing he was responsible for the pain he'd see there. But he forced himself to look, and was shocked all over again. Her face was resting against Suruga's shoulder, but what was visible suggested she wasn't in pain at all. There was a faint blush to her cheeks, but she looked content at peace somehow, in a way he'd never seen before. Was she in shock? Kyoko barely felt the water that was poured onto her hands to clean the blood off, or the prick as Suruga-san cradled her right hand with one of his own while using the tweezers with the other to pull out the slivers embedded in her bloodied hand. In some part of her mind, she was screaming at the pain, but she was so glad to be alive and in his arms that she couldn't even acknowledge the part of her that was in complete agony. No. As long as she remained where she was, safe and secure in his arms, Kyoko couldn't imagine being anything but deliriously grateful with the world in general. Having finally caught up with Ren, who'd left the restaurant like a bat out of hell after receiving a phone call from Director Ogata, Yashiro took instant stock of the situation, got a pair of tweezers from one of the makeup girls, and went to work on her other hand, loudly apologizing every time he had to touch her. Watching over Ren's shoulder, Ogata finally felt able to draw a proper breath. She was going to be all right. Thank God you got here in time. I owe you big, was Ren's response, briefly turning his head to meet Agata's gaze before he turned back to what he was doing. You called him? Haruki asked, remembering briefly seeing him with a phone in his hand when she'd been busy trying to help Sho talk some sense into Kyoko. Nodding, the director gave her a big smile. I knew she didn't trust him to catch her. Around that time, the medics finally got there, 
having been held up by a traffic jam right by Queen Records. Kyoko's hands were soon expertly bandaged, and the medics announced her fit to leave. With the condition that she see a doctor and get a prescription for the pain they were sure would arise once the actress got over her ordeal. Don't worry about a thing, Haruki assured Kyoko, trying not to stare at the girl in Suruga. Now that she and everyone was getting over the shock of the accident, they were all consumed with questions about the nature of the relationship between the two. She'd thought the girl was, if not involved with Sho, at least a potential love interest. She was sure Sho felt so anyway. Apparently, that wasn't the case at all for Kyoko, though. The girl was, without question, head over heels in love with Suruga. And if she wasn't very much mistaken, Hiroaki was right in thinking Suruga cared about Kyoko deeply. To her eyes, they looked very much like a couple in love. Looking over at Sho, Haruki saw that Sho was thinking the same thing. It was a testament to the scope of Sho's pain that the younger man wasn't confronting either of them. Standing off to the side as he watched the pair leaving, Sho knew that his worst fears had been realized. He'd known about Suruga's feelings for Kyoko, but had felt safe in the knowledge that she either didn't return the feelings or was unaware of them. She was definitely returning them now. She had never looked at anyone, even him, with that kind of love and devotion. He'd had that, and thrown it away. He had no doubt that that would prove his greatest regret. Loading Kyoko up in the ambulance, the look on Ren's face stopped any of the medics from asking for an autograph. The ride there was completely silent, except for the traffic. Everyone lost in their own thoughts, or too in awe of Suruga to dare to speak a word that might possibly offend. Once they got there, the doctor took a look at her hands, agreed with the medic's prognosis, and prescribed her some painkillers with instructions to take them until the bottle was empty. She was also given extra bandages and instructions to come back if there was any sign of infection or excess bleeding. Wisely, the doctor made no comment about the fact that Ren hadn't let Kyoko leave his lap once since she'd been brought in, or that Kyoko had allowed it. Wishing the couple a good day, he headed out to give them some privacy. As soon as the door closed, leaving them alone, Ren dropped his head into the crook of her neck, breathing in her scent as he let loose a shaky sigh of relief and fear. He hadn't been able to breathe easy since he'd gotten the call, and it was only now that he let himself acknowledge the fear and terror he hadn't let himself feel before, fearing it would slow him down. He'd almost lost her. He'd almost lost her, and now he wanted nothing more than to stay right where he was and remind himself that he hadn't. Reaching up, Kyoko had intended to stroke his head, 
only to realize her hands were in no condition to do that. Instead, she wrapped it awkwardly around his neck, in a weird, half-backwards hug, which was the best she could do in her present position. Don't ever scare me like that again, he finally managed to say. I'll do my best. Lifting his head, Ren asked her the question that had been bugging him in the back of his mind since he'd entered that damn set. Why didn't you let Fua catch you? Not that he liked the idea, not at all. But her life had been at stake, and it was a miracle that he'd been close enough to get there in time. She definitely wouldn't have been able to hang on much longer, given how much pain she must have been in. Looking up at him, she gave him an are-you-serious look. Like I'd ever trust him to catch me. Smiling at him shyly, her cheeks going red, Kyoko forced herself to say the next words. I wouldn't have let go for just anyone. You're probably the only one I'd have trusted to catch me. Smiling down at her tenderly, Ren could feel his emotions bubbling to the surface without a thought to try without a thought of trying to hide them. Thank you. And you know what? What? I I was thinking about you just before you came in. For a moment I thought I'd wished you there. Amused, Ren lifted his right hand to stroke her hair as he sought to lighten the mood. Maybe Korn was watching and used his fairy magic to get me there faster. I know I've never run that fast in my life. Yeah, my fairy prince definitely saved me. Before common sense played in, and the painkiller she'd been given wore off, Kyoko slid off his lap and then turned to face him, leaned forward and placed a kiss on his parted lips. You're always saving me. Kyon. Eyes widening, Ren could only stare at her. Mogami-san? Did you really think I wouldn't look up what my new adoptive brother looks like? She asked with a small, somewhat teasing smile, doing her best not to stammer or choke on her explanation. She could pass out from embarrassment over what she'd just done after. As soon as father left, I looked you up online. There were pictures of you as a kid. And as a teenager. I recognized you as Korn. And as Ren Suriga. If she'd done all that, she must know all about him. He should have realized that after playing him as a kid, she'd want to know more about him. She knew all about him. And she still stood before him, looking like she'd pass out from the nerves at any moment, painfully unsure but meeting his gaze squarely. She knew. And she'd kissed him anyway. She knew and she'd trusted him to catch her when she'd trust nobody else. Getting to his own feet, Ren pulled her against him, cradling her in his arms, needing the contact and the reassurance that this all wasn't just a dream. You won't leave me? He finally asked, needing to ask. 
I'll stand by you forever, was her firm, if very embarrassed, response. At her choice in words, Wren had to chuckle, the phrasing taking him back to his childhood. When she'd asked him what was funny, Wren explained, You made me think of a song I used to love as a kid. Oh? Bending down so that they were eye-level, Wren pressed his forehead against hers as he sang the words. Well, that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this week's one-shot. This has been Stand By Me, written by C. Queen, narrated by Saird. Theme music, Spirited Away, by Guillaume. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to join us next month for another one-shot. If you'd like to read this fic for yourself, please check out the story link in the description below. Till next time, happy listening. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 Weight Loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.